All right. That is in honor of National Grouch Day. I thought, what can we play that you guys can understand that I hate everyone? Oscar the Grouch hates everybody. Yeah, how appropriate is National Grouch Day, John? It's our 25th anniversary today. (laughs) Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing that those we understand that want you to understand that as much as we want the message to be heard for you, if you're distracting other people from hearing the message, we're not going to be for it. Uh, so want you to be here, but want you to be here with respect. So it's a privilege to hear about Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. And we don't shy away from the message. The message is Jesus. We're not here to bait and switch. We're not here to tell you something and then hurry up and turn around and tell you it's about Jesus. Right now you know it's about Jesus. You don't want to hear about Jesus? You may want to just book, not the place to be. So... Uh, don't make any apologies for it. So we are talking, obviously, about costumes and masks. I'm not wearing a costume, just the old woman costume. <laughs> um, but I am wearing my mask. I am wearing my mask. I thought it was appropriate that I would wear this one, the old bat. See, it works out good. Uh, and Batman. So anyway, I am going to have to take this off, though, because I cannot read. And I had to wear my glasses, you know, so uh, we'll take them off. But... Um, Wanted to talk to you real quick about um, what kind of we talked about last week. We talked a little bit about fear. And I told you that we were going to burn your fears. But you know what? Your fears were so amazing to me that I put all of them up on that poster in the back. So you guys are welcome at the end of the day if you want to go look at them and see what everybody, uh, what their fears were. Super interesting to read them. Uh, I prayed over them. And... um, there's no names on them except for one, and that's just Lucas, because Lucas's note to me was hilarious, and I thought it was adorable, so I wanted to put that in there, and uh, that's the only one that's there. So if you know what you wrote, if you don't want people to know, just don't tell them. Not everybody's going to know what you wrote unless you tell them. So we're going to talk about um, costumes and masks, but we're going to kind of go off of what we talked about last week, and that was those things that go bump in the night, those things that scare us, make us afraid, you know, our fears, the things that we are dealing with on a daily basis. And I went over with you last week those three types of responses that our bodies have when we experience fear, real or imagined. You know, we've all had those moments when we're sitting in the house and we imagine somebody's because we hear something or somebody's sneaking up on us and because we think somebody's behind us. You know, we get this feeling. It's imagined, but there's still fear that takes place in our bodies. Uh, there's three types of responses. Um, the first is our physiological response and the ways our actual bodies will respond at that moment, you know, our actual physical bodies. You know, when I told you before, you know, our hearts start to pound, you know, we get afraid. And our breathing, breathing becomes more rapid and, you know, shortness of breath, trying to get those, the oxygen in. And we begin to sweat a lot of times. You know, out of the fear factor, we start to perspire because of all that's taken place. And we get ready for that fight or flight experience that's going to take place. You know, when we get in a, a situation, we're going to do one of two things. Either we're going to start fighting somebody or we're going to walk away and run a lot of times. So we have those experiences that are going to take place physically in our bodies. And then I talked to you about the fact that there's behavioral responses which is our action responses to our fears. And those are really just when we start to, out of our fears, we start to avoid certain places that we don't want to go anymore, or certain people maybe, or experiences that when we experience fear, you know, we don't want to do in that same place because that was a scary place. You know, if any of you's ever had like a bad experience like in an elevator, 
You know, some people don't want to go back in an elevator, and that's behavioral. You know, they don't want to go where there was a, a real dangerous situation. A lot of people really love roller coasters. Some people have a great fear of roller coasters, and they don't want to get back on them, so they avoid that. So there's this, you know, behavioral response that's going to take place. You know, some people will um, develop habits out of their fear. You ever see those people that will do certain things, like um, they'll have to do a certain, like, pattern, like touch something, you know, because it's behavioral. It's how they calm themselves out of their fear. There are certain things that they do. Uh, girls, a lot of times, we touch ourselves, our face, a lot of times. We get nervous. It seems like we do this thing to assure ourselves. You know, we touch our hair. We, we touch ourselves. It's just for some reason we try to soothe and calm ourselves in those moments. And uh, then some people will start to rely on medication, really, to control their fear. Some people get wrapped up in medication and, and have to take, like, you know, Xanax to calm down, relax. Then there's those cognitive responses, which is our thinking responses. Whereas our behavior was actions, our um, cognitive is our minds, our thinking, how we're going to respond to fear. And, and then we can become obsessed by fear. You know, they can become all-consuming. That could be the thing that you think about from the moment you get up to the time you go to bed. You're thinking about what scares you, what's going to happen. You know, some of it could be real, some of it could be imagined. You think someone's out to get you. You can become paranoid thinking, wow, everybody's out to get me. Everyone's going to get me. You know, everyone's out to, everyone hates me, no one likes me, they all want to get me. And it starts to change who we are on the inside. And in that point, that, that part of that I'm talking about, is when we start to wear the masks, when we start to wear the costumes. And that's why I'm bringing this in tonight and talking about that. Um, out of our fears, we begin to change into people that we really, truly aren't on the inside but we put something out for some people to see. There's some people that are scared to death and out of their scared to deathness, what they're going to do is they're going to act very confident. Some people are really not that afraid, but they're going to shrink back. They're not going to talk to me. They, a lot of people are perceived to be very shy when they're really not because that's, their, that's the way that they respond. Their cognitive thing is that they, you know, they shrink back. They act like they're shy. So we can develop into a fake or funny, phony person, and we ourselves... Not just those people on the outside looking at us, but we ourselves can start to think of ourselves as different people than we really truly are. We can pretend to the point where we start to believe our persona that we put out, you know. A few years ago, I read this book. Awesome book. Uh, Posers, Fakers, and Wannabes. It's by Brennan Manning and Jim Hancock. And it it really did open my eyes to the fact that there are a lot of phonies a lot of wannabes, a lot of fakes out there. And there's a lot of these people that are out there wearing masks and costumes and pretending to be something that they really truly aren't in their hearts. They just are trying to put on this good face. You know, There's a lot of people that would walk in, you would think that they're very happy people, but in reality, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of pain in their lives. But they may not show that to you. You know, There's a lot of people that walk in and have a chip on their shoulder, but deep down they're very sensitive. It's just their masks that they wear. But why is it that we wear these things? Why do we wear masks and costumes all the time? Why do we keep doing this? You know, a lot of times there's this, this idea, why can't we just become who we really are supposed to be? You know, there's certain people that are going to see you be real. And I think that there's only those select few people in our lives that we allow to see us as we really are. The rest of us, we want to pretend. We want to pretend like we're okay all the time. There's very few people in our lives that we allow them to see us in our true state. You know, it's like an animal cage, you know. You don't see them in their natural habitat. You just see them in the cage. You know, if you see a tiger or a lion at a zoo, you know, they just pace back and forth. 
You know, and that's what you think. Oh, that's how a, a tiger or a lion acts. No, that's how you see a lion or tiger act in a cage. You know, in truth, you don't understand what a tiger or lion is going to do out in the wild because you're not seeing that natural state. Just like us, a lot of times we don't show people. A.W. Tozer wrote that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now that saying is deep. You may not have got it at first. Let me repeat it one more time. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, which means basically our thoughts about him say a lot about our thoughts of ourselves. How we think of God, how we respond to that, says a lot about ourselves, and it's something to think about. The book actually states that people tend to project their opinions about God onto the world, and then we project onto God our worst attitudes and feelings about ourselves. How you portray God in your mind is really out of a lot of your worst attitudes, your responses, your feelings about how you see yourself as a person. You know, you begin to do this. I want to read you a little story from the book. And I'm going to tell you the story's a little different. It's a little different, but you're going to have to listen. Okay. This is like story time with Deb. Usually Nicole reads to you, but I'm going to read you. Okay, it's, uh, it says nighttime. Ruler lies awake, listening to his parents in the next room. Ruler's an unusual one, his father says. Why does he always play by himself? How am I to know, Ruler's mother says in the dark. Ruler is Flannery O'Connery's creation, a small-town kid waking up to the world. In the day, Ruler chases a wild and wounded turkey through the woods. Oh, if only I can catch it, he thinks. And by golly, he will catch it if he has to run right out of the state to do it. Ruler sees himself marching through the front door. The turkey slung over his shoulder, and the whole family just amazed, shouting, Look at Ruler with that wild turkey. Ruler, where did you get that turkey? He says, oh, I caught it in the woods. Maybe you would like to catch me, catch you one sometime, because I'm so good at it. But catching the wounded bird is harder than he thought. Another idea occurs to Ruler. God will probably make me chase that dang turkey all afternoon just for nothing. He knows he shouldn't think that way about God, but it's how he feels. Who can blame him if that's the way he feels? Ruler trips and falls and lies there in the dirt, wondering if he's unusual. Suddenly the chase is over. The turkey drops dead from the gunshot wound that crippled it. Ruler hoists the bird on his shoulder, starts a victory march toward home, right down the center of the town. He remembers his thoughts about God before he got the turkey. They were pretty bad, he guesses. This is probably God getting his attention, stopping him before he goes wild like his own brother. Thank you, God, he says. You were mighty generous to me today. He thinks maybe the turkey is a sign. Maybe God wants him to be a preacher. Ruler wants to do something for God. If he saw a poor person in the street today, today he would give him away his dime that he has in his pocket. It's the only dime he has, but he thinks he'd give it to that person just for God. Ruler is walking through town now. People are knocked out by the size of this turkey. Men and women stare. A group of country kids trail behind him. How much do you think it weighs, a man asks. At least 10 pounds, Ruler says. How long did you chase it? About an hour. That's really amazing. But Ruler doesn't have time for to talk and to chit-chat. He can't wait to hear what he's gonna, the people are going to say to him when he gets home. He wishes he would see someone begging. He would for sure give him his dime. Lord, send me a beggar. Send me one before I get home. And he knows for a fact that God will send him a beggar because he is such an unusual child. Please, one, right now. The minute he says as an old beggar woman heads straight towards him. His heart stomps up and down in his chest, and he springs at the woman, shouting, Here, here, thrusts the dime into her hand and dashes off without looking back. Slowly his heart calms, and he feels something new, like being happy and embarrassed at the same time. Ruler's flying, him and God's turkey. This is when Ruler notices the country kid shuffling up behind him, and he turns generously to face them. You all want to see the turkey? They stare. I chased it dead. See, it's been shot under the wing. 
One of the boys says, let me see it. And incredibly, the boy slings the bird over his own shoulder, hitting ruler in the face with it, and he turns away. And that's that. The boy just takes ruler's turkey and walks away. They're a block away before ruler even moves and disappear into the falling dark. Ruler creeps toward home, breaking into a run. And then the story goes where Flannery O'Connor ends ruler's remarkable story with the words, he ran faster and faster. And as he turned up the road to his house, his heart was running as fast as his legs. And he was certain that something awful was tearing at him behind him with his arms rigid and his fingers ready to clutch. Something awful. He started to feel fear. The story is unusual, but it says so much. I want to explain it to you. What happens in those experiences? See, there's a a whole myriad of emotions that take place. We have this idea thinking God's going to give us this gift. And all of a sudden, he gets to have this gift. And immediately he thinks, okay, I'm so generous. Because God was generous to me, I'm going to be generous to somebody else. And then this happens. And then all of a sudden, someone steals it away and takes it away from him. See, there's always these things with God. It's how God treats you on a daily basis is how we view God. We tend to do that through our lives. If God gives us something great, we're like, well, God's pleased with me. God loves me. Something happens bad, immediately we're thinking, well, we must have done something to deserve this. God's just out to get us. He's out to cause us problems. And we think of God in those ways. And the story kind of shows that, that he's back and forth with his emotions and how he feels about God. You know, he's generous because God's generous with him. And, and then he wants to, like, get back, and he feels fear like he's done something wrong when someone takes from him. What we start to think in life a lot of times is God becomes this, like, mean bookkeeper. You know, they, basically he counts every misstep that we have in life, every screw-up that we have. He marks it down, holds them against us, And in our minds, we start to see him as this, like, big grudge holder in our lives, you know, who's going to get back at us. He's going to snatch things away from us right when we think we're going to get them. You know, he's going to come in right when things are starting to look good, and he's going to take away your family, your friends, your money, you know, your joy, the person that you've looked for all your life. And all of a sudden, he's going to snatch them away. Well, what causes those feelings? Why do we start to look at God like that on a daily basis? We all do it. We all think that we please God and we think, oh, God's bound to give me great things now. And then when we do something wrong, we just are waiting for that ax to fall, the sledgehammer to come down on us. And we think that God's like that. We think that he's out there and he's only going to be happy if we do right, if we do good, that he's going to love us. When we lose something in life, like ruler lost his turkey, We can think of God as this unpredictable, bad-tempered, unfair man in the sky that's just out to get us, don't we? I mean, have you felt that way? I felt that way. I started to think, was it just me? I mean, there's times where, I mean, I feel like, okay, I did something, something will happen, I'll start to actually think back in my mind, but what did I do to cause this? Like, I caused every little thing that took place. We tend to do that. We really put ourselves on this pedestal of self-importance, like we control everything around us and... You know, it's not necessarily so. But then on top of that, we start to think that, of course God thinks I'm a mess, because I'm a mess. You know, why wouldn't he think I'm a mess? You know, look at me. Who can blame God? I can't do anything right. We tend to do that too. We start to look down on ourselves and think that we're worth nothing. There's this famous quote by Blaise Pascal that says, God made us in his own image, and we have more than returned the compliment what happens is we constantly put upon God our feelings of inadequacies, our judgments of ourselves, and we put that upon God, and we think that's how God views us. And it's so not how God views us. If we feel hatred for ourselves, 
then it makes sense in our mind that God must hate us too. He has to hate me because I hate myself. You know, it's, it's a weird way of thinking, but we do that. I think it's because we live in a life of dealing with people where if we do something, there's usually going to be, an, you know, our actions will cause a reaction. So when we see people responding that way, we think God has to be that way too. If we don't do something right, he's going to come out and he's going to get me. He's just ready. You know, like God's ready, just waiting to throw some lightning bolt at us at every moment, every turn when we do something. He's just out to get us. Have you thought of God that way? Do you think that he's out there judging you on every little thing? I think we do. If we view ourselves as failures, then God must view us as a failure too. And that's not how God thinks of us. It really, really isn't. I want you to understand that. There's a song that we sing. It says, his love is amazing. It's steady and unchanging. That's what it is. See, God doesn't change from day to day whether or not he likes you. He doesn't change whether or not he loves you because he always loves you. You know, there's a a thing with families. I mean, you know, if you look at your situation with your parents, do you love your parents only because they give you certain things? I mean, because they feed you? Do you love them because they, you know, let you live in a house? You love them because you love them. It doesn't matter. If your family decides, like, tomorrow that they're not going to make you a bologna sandwich, you're not going to be like, I don't love you no more. I'm done. I'm finished. It's not how you do it. You know, you don't quit your love for somebody just because they don't do something for you. And that's what you need to understand about God. God doesn't stop. You know, he doesn't stop loving you just because you do something wrong. He loves you because he loves you. And you have to remember that. You would always still love your parents. Because true love is not dependent on what we get from somebody at all. We just love them because we love them. That's why. But yet with God, we feel that we have to act a certain way to get his love all the time. We have to do something to please him. We have to act a certain way, act holy. There's a lot of people that go to church that are doing a whole lot of acting than they are being. They want to look a role. And, you know, we think that God isn't possibly going to help us out in our lives because we're not good enough to receive his help. There's no way that God's going to be pleased with me and help me. He's only going to help those people that are doing everything just right. And that's not true. It's not true. Um, Our own inadequacies are what strangles our faith and strangles us. It's how we see ourselves, the mask that we wear, the person, the costume that we're wearing that really changes our faith and changes our relationship with God. And it's because we're afraid. We're afraid to let people see us as we really are. We're afraid to let God see us as we are for real, even though he does. See, the thing is, we can't outwit him. I say it all the time. We can't. It's like Survivor. You can't outwit. You can't outplay. You can't outlast him. He's always going to be able to see into your heart. You know, we can pretend that we can be something with somebody else, our best friends even. We can act a certain way, and people can assume that's how we are. He is not fooled because he sees into our lives on a daily basis. He sees into our heart. You know, it's not the way that we see people. There's a story in a book that I, um, that I read here, it says where a man asks his young son, Daniel, when you see Jesus looking at you, what do you see in his eyes? And after a long pause, the boy replies with his eyes filled with tears um, that I think that God looks at me with tears in his eyes too. And his father asked him, why do you think that? And his son quietly whispered, because he's sad. 
And the dad asked him, why do you think he'd be sad when he looks at you? And the son just kind of stared for a long time at the floor, and then he finally looked up at his dad with tears in his eyes and says, because I'm afraid. And I want you to understand fear in life causes us to look at all things different. It's not supposed to be that way with God. We're not supposed to be afraid on a daily basis. God never meant for us to be afraid of him at all. That's not what he intended it to be. He intended us to feel love and compassion and be drawn to him and be close to him. But see, out of fear and inadequacies and being pretending like we are something, we put a wall up between God and us all the time. At the beginning in Genesis, we know that God created a helpmate. He created a helper for him. You know, it says that he, out of the man, he took a rib and he created woman so that, God wouldn't, so that man wouldn't be alone. But sadly, all he had to do was really trick the people, trick Adam and Eve into believing that they were missing something, lacking something, that they needed to have more in their life. They needed to have, you know, more power. And uh, out of that desire, what happens is at that moment is when they developed fear, developed shame, developed this idea that they needed to hide and shrink back from God. Here was the God that actually walked. If you read the beginning of Genesis, you see that God walked hand in hand through the garden with Adam and Eve. It was on a daily basis. They were that close. But when the Satan, when Satan, when he was, came disguised as a serpent, tricked them, tricked them into thinking that they could eat this and become more like God, what happened out of that moment is they decided to hide from God. They didn't want to be close. That's no different than what takes place in our daily lives today at all. I mean, we do the same things. We act a certain way and we think that we have to hide from God because there's no way that God would want to be near us. And it's not true. It's so not true. Um, when Adam ate the fruit, he ran from God. And God loved him. He created him. He loved him. He wanted to still spend time with him. But immediately he says, why are you hiding? Of course God knew why he was hiding. But you know, the thing is with God, he likes us to voice why we do something. It isn't just the thought sometimes. He really likes us to confess it. He wanted to hear from Adam's own lips why it was that he was hiding from him then. He knew. He was God. He knew exactly what happened. But he likes, us to, make, he likes to make us face our fears, make us state it, make us voice what really happened. Out of our fears, we decide that it's easier sometimes just to remain the self-absorbed, self-sufficient, and self-satisfied person that we think we are. It's just easier that way. There's a, a, a saying that says, better the devil that you know than the angel that you don't know. It's just comfortable. It's comfortable to be the person that you've always been. But see, it's never going to work because in the long run, it's suffocating because you do have to change. You have to be a person who is willing to get rid of certain things in your life, move forward in certain areas, quit being filled with fear on a daily basis, and start to become the person that God actually intended you to be. It breaks God's heart that we run from him and we don't run to him because that's not what he intended this world to be about at all. We hate to be seen on a daily basis, what we really are. All of us, imagine yourself right now, because every one of us knows when we've acted the worst possible way that we could possibly act. Every one of us, if I can say that to you now, right now, 
Can you imagine when you reacted the worst? Do you want that to be broadcast for everyone to see? Or do we like to hide that part of ourselves? We like to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, when I completely freak out, you know, I told you, I spent a lot of years, I cussed like a sailor, you know. When I get angry, when those moments still come and they're in my head and I say all these things, do I want them to be broadcast aloud for people to hear? Absolutely not. It's, I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed that this is the person that I can immediately go into. God's forgiven me, and I can immediately, out of my anger, be a person who is so not what I want to be. You know, but we do this. I wouldn't want people to see it, and I'm sure each one of you is when you know that you've responded in a poor, poor way. When you become very selfish, and it's all about you at that moment, you wouldn't want people to see you at that moment. You like to pretend that you're a person that you are and you're easygoing and nothing makes you mad and, boy, I can take anything or, or somebody did, makes me mad, you know, I'll just get back at them, that kind of attitude because it's cool. You know, maybe you wouldn't want to let people see you when you get so frustrated that you cry. Maybe that's the true self of who you are. But we need to quit wearing masks. We hate to be seen what we truly are, but we need to start pulling those things off and letting God see us and let people see us the way we really are. You know, we compare ourselves with others around us a lot of times who are maybe more ugly in their personality than we are, and we kind of judge ourselves against that and say, you know, well, look it, I may not have acted great, but this person, they acted way worse than me, so I'm not so bad. You're not supposed to judge yourself against other people. We're supposed to have a different example of what we judge ourselves by. And that's perfection, and that was Jesus Christ. Or a lot of times we just fake it. We just pretend things are good, things are okay, I can make it. Um, Simon Tugwell wrote, we hide what we know or feel about ourselves to be behind some kind of appearance which we hope will be more pleasing. We hide behind pretty faces which we put on for the benefit of our public. And in time we many, we may even come to forget what we are hiding and begin to think that our assumed face is what we really truly look like. You know, you may be acting so much that you can't even get out of costume and roll when it's time at the end of the day. You know, they say that that, um, Heath Ledger, when he played the Joker, they said it was so consuming for him to play the Joker that it was actually something that took him on such a downward spiral of depression and this this attitude of, of being so hateful and hurtful. They said that he really struggled with it. They said that they think that's one of the reasons why he ended up taking an overdose is because of that reason. Because he was so down, he became so absorbed in this role how many of us are on a, in a, playing a role on a daily basis? We're so consumed with this is how it is. We're living this life of perfection, thinking that we have to act a certain way to the point where we honestly don't even know how to really be us anymore. The most dangerous thing of all is when we start to shrink back from God in those moments. When we think we're not good enough, like I say, to be loved. Or we think that, you know, he too was fooled by our pretty face or our costume that we're wearing. You know, I want you to understand that God does not accept sin. He wants us to turn from sin. He obviously says, repent of it. Turn 180 degrees from it. Go a different way. If this is going to lead you down the wrong trail, he wants you to pick the other road. You know, he doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't accept sin. But you have to understand that God does not withhold his love for us, though, when we do sin. It doesn't depend on a daily basis whether or not you please God, whether or not he loves you. I'm sure most of you, I mean, I I didn't have a great childhood. Hopefully you guys have a great childhood where your parents love you 
And you know what? It's one of those things where you may not do everything just right, but you still feel as though you're loved. You still feel as though that there's somebody that really cares about you. That's how God cares. The thing is that God didn't save us so that he could love us. He saved us because he loved us. That's why he did it. So why then do we try to hide behind masks and wear costumes? So, you know, we, we basically walk around, we pretend that we don't need God in our lives. You know, out of fear, we don't draw close to God because we don't want a lot of times a true diagnosis of what's really wrong with us in our lives. You know, it's no different than somebody who kind of starts to feel some aches and pains. They start to wonder if something's really wrong, you know, maybe. And then you hear all these, like, horror stories, you know, it's cancer, it's bound to be cancer. And out of fear, they don't go to the doctor because, you know, they're afraid when they go to the doctor, there's, it's going to be like, yeah, you have that wrong, and then you have this wrong, and that wrong, and you know what? Your blood pressure's too high, and you know what? You need to lose weight, and oh my gosh, there's a thousand things wrong with you. So out of fear, people don't go. It's the same reason why people avoid God. They don't want to get close to God because they're realizing, and they see that God can see into their hearts, and they're going to recognize, God's going to recognize that there's more wrong. You know, maybe this isn't the only thing wrong. Maybe there's bigger problems. And a lot of times out of that fear, we don't want to change. It's just easier just to be who we are. Some people who say they love God, man, they're the ones that can't stand to be alone with their thoughts a lot of times. There's a great story about this chronically depressed man who goes to see the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist tells him to cut back his 14-hour work days to 8 and then go home and spend his evening alone and just being quiet. So the man does cut back his hours. He goes home but he spends every evening reading the works of Thomas Mann and Herman Hesse and plays Mozart and Chopin on his piano. After a few weeks, he goes back to the psychiatrist and he tells him what he's been doing and he complains that, man, I see no improvement. I'm no better than I was before. And the psychiatrist responds by telling him, you didn't understand. I didn't want you to be with Hesse or Mann or Chopin or Mozart. I wanted you to be completely alone. And the man, who was completely horrified, responded, I can't think of any worse company than that. Can't stand to be alone with himself. How many of you guys out there really stop and think about your lives on a daily basis? Do you not like who you are? There's people that walk around every day and don't like who they are in their hearts. They don't like the person that they are. They don't think they're nice. They don't think they're kind. They don't think they're gentle. They don't think they're loving. They treat people badly, and they don't even know why they treat people badly. They can't control it. They don't understand it. Why do I constantly act the way that I do? God doesn't want you to live like that. He doesn't want you to be that person. A lot of Christians would be horrified, absolutely horrified at the thought of sitting silently for a matter of time. A retreat where there's no television, radio, no nothing, and just listening to God is terrifying for them. If there was nothing but listening to God and really letting God speak to him and point out things, going to that doctor for a diagnosis and saying, hey, what's wrong with my life? They don't want to because they don't want to hear it. It's much easier just to wear a costume, wear a mask and keep pretending. I don't understand what it is about us as humans that we kind of feel like we always have to be on, you know, like a comedian. You know, like David Letterman, uh, Jay Leno, got to be on all the time. You got to have a, a laugh, a joke. You got to be always entertaining somebody. But we can't be true. We can't be real. Only with those very select few people do we let them really see who we truly are. 
We're constantly playing roles. We're constantly acting. The Bible talks about actors. That was the beginning. That's when he talks about it. He says, you hypocrites. Hypocrite was an actor in the old days. In Bible times, that's what an actor was. It's a hypocrite. So when we were pretending, when we're being something that we're really not, we're hypocrites. You could be a hypocrite for God or against God. You may tell people that you don't believe in God, and that's because you think that's the cool thing to say. Or you may really not believe in God and be pretending up here, you know, worshiping, praising God, and you really don't understand at all what people are excited about. The thing is, God wants you to get real with him. If you don't understand him, just tell him, I don't understand you. You know what? It's, there's no point in pretending and faking. It doesn't do you no good. It just is going to exhaust you. I tell everybody, man, if I didn't believe it, I would never be up on Sunday morning. I'd be home, relaxing, making breakfast, kicking back. I'd never be in church if I didn't really truly believe it. Time is way too short. And believe me, if I wasn't getting something out of it, I wouldn't be here. You know, some of us, though, wouldn't choose, would instead choose to keep busy doing and keep pretending and not try to think about who we really are. Some people keep pretending to be who they are, and some people, just to get through life and exist, they just basically sleep their life away. It's all about sleep. You know, I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to go to sleep. Do you know those people that sleep about, like, 16, 18 hours a day? Because that's how they exist. That's how they get through life. Some people, obviously, to be able to handle life, they choose alcohol, drugs. They, they get involved with things that are going to medicate them, stop them from being who they really are in their minds, thinking. People get involved with drugs because they don't want to face reality. They don't want to have to deal with the pain of being who they really are. Some people please or choose overachieving. Man, I was there. I'm, a, I'm an overachiever. I got to try to make everybody happy because I didn't have a mom or dad. So it was one of those things. How did I make people happy around me? My sister who raised me, the only way I could do it was make her happy, cook for her, clean for her, you know, do those things that maybe she would appreciate me, maybe she would love me out of that. So I became that person. I have to overachieve or I don't think I'm good enough. You know, it worked in the past. Why not continue? Some people turn to comfort foods. That's why we have obesity in America the way that we do. It's not because people are overeating. It is truly that statement. It's not what you're eating, but what's eating you. People are unhappy with who they are. So they do these things to medicate themselves. Some turn to self-abuse. Some turn to cutting. They do things to hurt themselves because they don't want to deal with the pain. And then some obviously turn to sex. I mean, people... They go off and they're, they're with a new person every single night because they feel good about themselves. Because, if man, if you think I'm attractive, I must be good. I must be good. You know, just tell me that you love me because I just want to hear it for that moment. Even though two seconds later you know you're never going to hear it out of that person's mouth again. It's how we exist and live on a daily basis. The problem is America, the world, is filled with people with fear. They don't understand what God wants from them, and they don't want to turn to it because they know they have to change. There's another quick story I want to read to you. It's a quote by a guy named um, Henry Nowen. He says, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way that they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, 
then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions instead. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us his beloved. See, God loves us. If we don't believe that God loves us, then we'll be happy to do those things. Continue with all these things that people say is okay in this world. Uh, There's a quote by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I'm sure you've heard it before. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. We need to run away from fear and change. We need to quit wearing masks. We need to quit wearing the costumes. And we have to instead do the things that God tells us to do, which he says clothe ourselves with humility, which basically says get rid of the pride of pretending to be who you really are and, and get real, get real. First Peter 5, 5 says, tells us to close ourselves with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's grace will be upon you if you ask God for help. You know what? There's nothing wrong with voicing what he already knows in your heart. If you don't believe in him, just tell him, I don't believe in you. I'm not seeing that you're real. You're going to have to show me that you're real. I went home and did that. I remember saying, God, God, if you're real, then you're going to have to show me that there's something here because I'm not seeing it. You know, it takes humility to take off our masks and stand before God. You know, Adam and Eve, what happened when they, they hid? Immediately what they do, they put those fig leaves over themselves, didn't they? Got to cover all those parts, you know, because God's going to know what you look like. Even though God created me, he knew what they look like. You know, he put them all together. He knows what men and women look like. But, you know, they cover themselves even before the God that created them. Thing is with God is he wants us to stand before him buck naked. Buck naked. Right in front of him, say, this is me. Warts all. This is it. And he says, stand before me and let me see what you really look like. Stand, that's my quote tonight. Stand before God, buck naked. Okay? <laughs> I always have something weird, you know that. So um, the thing is, though, some of us, though, are just one little tiny one moment away from the greatest encounter with God that you could possibly have. But it's not going to come unless you are honest and truthful with God. If you're not going to tell him, I don't believe, or I need your help, or God, I'm prideful, I don't want to see it, or I'm angry, I don't trust people in my life. People have hurt me too many times. I can't possibly see that you could love me, God, because people haven't loved me the way I deserved. You know, there's a, a point I was thinking about is that, you know, you cannot change what we don't admit needs changing. Whatever we don't admit needs changing will never, ever be healed. And God cannot heal what we continue to constantly conceal from him in our masks and our costumes. Our biggest concern in this life should not be if we are liked by the people in the world, but that we actually do please God, the God who created us, the God who loves us. That should be your desire. This is only going to happen, though, when we quit pretending, we quit faking it, we quit wearing our masks and costumes, and we basically lay our hearts bare before God, stand before him. Naked. So what you are really afraid of, though, is what's going to reveal in your heart. Because if you're more concerned with what your friend thinks about you than what you are concerned about what the God who created you thinks of you, then you know what? That's up to you. That's your choice. I'm going to tell you, your friends, they ain't going to help you to get to heaven. Ultimately, you have to be the person that makes that choice yourself. You know, your buddy, I'm going to tell you, when the going gets tough, there's a better option 
I'm going to tell you, your closest friends in grade school, you know, you get to high school and there's some hot girl or some guy, you don't remember those friends. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can't wave them in the hall. Nice to see you. You know, you used to spend every waking moment together. Things change. Don't let somebody keep you from the things that truly matter in your life just because you think you're pleasing them. Be more concerned about the things that matter. Be concerned with the God who created you and please him is what should be important. Um, a lot of the, some people are so concerned about being liked. It's always about being liked, you know. Um, I make no excuse for that. I'll tell you right now, I'm not here trying to be cool. I'm 43, I'm old, I'm overweight. <laughs> you like me or not, I don't care. doesn't matter to me. doesn't matter to me. I really think, I think one of those things that people would tell me all the time, my mother-in-law told me this years ago. She says, there's something happens as you get older, you just don't care what people think about you as much as you did when you were younger. And I thought, no, there's no possible way. I like to be liked. I can't imagine. But there really is. There's something that happens. I don't know. It's about 35, 38. You're like, I don't really care. Like me, don't like me. No big deal. Don't matter to me no more. Because you just don't care. Because those people that don't like you a lot of times make your life miserable after a while. You're like, who was that person? What was their name? I don't remember them no more. No big deal no more. Don't get so wrapped up in what people think about you. Don't be so concerned with pretending to be a person that you really truly aren't in your heart. Don't be the hard guy just because someone else tells you you should be a hard guy. Don't be a person who's pretending that you really love God when you don't really love God. You're not fooling them. You're not fooling anybody that matters. You know, your friend might be fooled for a while, but in the long run, you're not going to last. Time is short. You'll, you'll run out of steam. But I really want you to think about who you are tonight. I want you to be willing to take who you really are the person who are you are in your heart. We you know when it's dark and in the middle of the night and you're all by yourself, there's no one around. The thoughts that you have yourself in those moments, do you like yourself? Do you like who you are? Are you a person that you're satisfied with? That's what you need to think about. Because in those 3 o'clock in the morning things, that's sometimes when God hits you full face with who you are. And you're like, man, I'm a little afraid of the future. You know, or maybe I'm, you know, I'm not really so nice. You know, or I'm making a lot of stupid choices. This isn't the best thing for me. That's what he wants you to bring to him and ask him for help. So I want to pray for you real quick. I want to also tell you that if um, you need prayer for anything, I'm always here to, to pray with you about anything that you need. If your family has a situation, if you need prayer, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, we're not telling you to come here, change your religion, do all these different stuff. We're not doing that. There are people here from all different denominations. We don't push that. But what I'm telling you, though, is God desires to get close to you. And that's because he wants you to be in relationship with him. It's never supposed to be one of those things where you're completely away from God. God desired to walk hand in hand like he did with Adam in the garden. That's how he wants to live life with you on a daily basis. It's our choice to run and hide or stand before him buck naked and hold his hand and tell him help. So let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help these people, Lord, that are here. I just pray, Father, that they would recognize if they've been fake, phony, uh, pretending to be something that they're not, Lord, whether or not they are a true believer, if they've been faking being a believer, or whether or not they really love you or have no desire of you, Lord, I just pray that you see who they really are in their heart, Lord, that you would see it, that you would work on them and help them, Lord. I just pray, Father, wherever they are spiritually, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. I pray that if they don't know who you are, Lord, that you would show them. And I pray, Father, that these people, Lord God, would be more concerned with your love and your approval than they care about the world. I just pray, Jesus, that you would help them through that. 
And uh, God, I just pray for each person that's here, Lord, if they don't know you, if they've never accepted you as their Savior, if they've never understood that you died on the cross for them because you love them and that you do continue to love them, I just pray, Father, that you would work on their heart, help them. Just pray that you just go home with each person that's here, their families, keep them safe, protect them, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, for what you've done here tonight and see why I am. Lord, I just pray that uh, more and more people would continue to come, Lord, understand who you are and what you've done for them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.